Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. For further information about Northridge Church, visit us online at northridgethompson.com. We are coming up on the Christmas season. Thank you, Brother David. Coming up on the Christmas season, uh, obviously, we got a lot of things in store. Everybody's very, very busy. Uh, But we want to take time, obviously, to to celebrate everything that's going on in the life of a Christian. Obviously, this is a time of our, our faith where we celebrate. We, we, we become even more increasingly excited as the day is approaching. I want to encourage you this, this year to, as you're sitting around the tree with your children, as you're opening gifts, as you're doing all of these things, I want to encourage you to, to remind them of why we do what we do. I want you to remind them of the season in which Jesus Christ was born and all the disruption that came by way of that great story, which we'll talk about today. But before we do that, I want to to kind of tell you that in my life, uh, it's very common, maybe too often that I care to admit, that I have these perfect little simple, maybe safe, maybe not so profound plans uh, in my life that are based upon my abilities, my resources, uh, expectations. And, and often God just steps in and he intervenes, interrupts, if you will, my perfect little safe plans. And watch what he does. He goes above and beyond my resources, my abilities, my expectations to a point of an unfathomable place that just frightens me. It terrifies me. I don't know if you're there. In fact, I would submit to you that if you've been a Christian any amount of time, you have been there. You have walked through life and maybe you had it all figured out. And if you're a planner, like I know a lot of you guys are, you plan, you write down. How many of you live by the plan, by the to-do list? How many of y'all do that? God can step in and interrupt that at any point in time that he so chooses. And I think that we all can agree that there's times that he's done just that. And then what happens is we kind of commit back to God and say, Lord, we want to obey your word. We want to do what it it is that you call us to do. But God, if this thing is not going to fail, if it's going to make it, then Father, you have to do it. You have to complete it. You have to completely show up because what you're calling me to do goes far greater beyond than anything that I can do in and of myself. In fact, the word of God says it this way in Philippians 2.13, that it's God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And he's simply saying in that point that if there's anything in you wanting to do something for the glory, for the honor of God here on earth, in and through your life, that it is God that has placed it there. It's not something you've drummed up in and of yourself. A lot of times people say, well, Mark, how do I know when I'm hearing God's voice? Number one, it's going to marry up with this book. That's for certain. Secondly, more than likely, it's going to be something that goes against the grain of your flesh. For example, God may be calling you to share your testimony, but yet you don't feel eloquent in speech. Maybe he's calling you to sing for his glory and the praises as you sit out there and you can't sing a lick. And you try, though you try, though you try. And you can sing under the acoustics of the shower in your bathroom, but you get in here and it sounds like somebody peeling paint with a metal object. You know, but you just sing for the glory of God. Why? Because he's not calling you. Hear me, church. He's not calling you to do things within the auspices of your own abilities. He's not calling you to do something within the auspices of your own resources. Watch this. He's calling the church to rise way beyond the scope of anything you think to be safe. And let me say it this way. I submit to you today that your safe little minimally impacting decision and plan that you've made for your life, for your spouse, for your children, for your ministry, is not really a safe plan at all if God's not in it. In fact, I would submit to you the contrary, that it's when we step out of our safe little world of this is what I want to do, it's very regimented in nature, this is what's going to happen at this time, this is what's going to happen, here's my one, three, five, and ten-year plan, if you will. Nothing wrong with planning. Every good business has that type of model. 
But when we step back from a business transaction into a ministry-driven life where we are trying to live for the honor and for the glory of God as a man, as a woman, as a boy or girl, husband, wife, mom or dad, or a church for that matter, or any other ministry, we have to get to the place to realize that if God has called us to do something profoundly bigger than anything that we have expected or fathomed in our own finite mind, watch this, Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will also what? Complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. Philippians 2.13, Eric, he put it there. And if he put it there, Philippians 1.6 says, he will do it. See, you will fail in life miserably over and over and over and over again. He's calling you, watch this, to rise beyond your own comfort zones. And I know why. I figured this out. This is huge for me. The reason that God keeps kind of nudging me to move further beyond my own expectation, my own resources, my own, and I'm a dreamer, man. I am clearly a dreamer. I can think really big. But he says, I want to bring you into a life that is exceedingly abundantly above past what you can fathom or expect or ask in your own heart. And here's why. Jesus, when he was on this earth, he said, it's expedient toward his disciples that I go away. Because if I go away, I'm going to send another one in my place, and he will be called the Comforter. Why? Tell me why, church, would he send a capital C Comforter into our life if he wanted us to go idly through life with a safe plan that was incredibly comfortable? I'll tell you why. Because he doesn't want that. He wants you to go so far beyond that to a point to where the Comforter comes alongside of you, you become dependent upon him, and it becomes his voice. It becomes his hands. It becomes his heartbeat moving in and through your life. And let's just go one step further. What if, what if, God is calling you to do something so profoundly great that won't even impact people in your lifetime. Can you still do that? Because the greatest thing you and I can do, number one, is to be obedient to the voice of God. To say, God, I hear you. I hear what you're saying to me. And it's okay, I said last week, it's okay to take your, your fears to the Lord. It's okay to put all of your, your bad stuff on the table. People say, yeah, but if you do that, the Bible says there's life and death in the power of the tongue. Oh, there is, but let me tell you something. When I join up and marry my heart with the triune God and I put all my fears on the table, speaking it to a holy God, it doesn't matter what Satan does or says because the Bible says, if I cast all of my cares upon him for he cares for me, that I draw nigh to him and he will draw nigh to me. And then verse uh, James 4, 7, Resist the devil, and he'll what? He'll flee from you. See, what God is calling you to do today may, in fact, interrupt your simple, jovial, menial, impacting plan to bring you into a place that is going to literally shake this planet for the glory of God. Are you ready for the task? See, some 2,000 years ago, that's exactly what happened. In Luke's gospel, and if you have your Bibles, once you turn to Luke chapter 1, I'm not going to read the Christmas story today. We're going to have a, a musical very, very shortly on the 21st that morning and where we will read the Christmas story. It's going to be a great time. I'm excited about the singers and everything going into that effort. But I want you to understand Luke in the context of who this man is. Number one, he's one of the four writers of the gospel. He's writing from a position of the manhood, the humanity of Jesus Christ. He was fully man, yet he was fully God. He had to exist as a man or else he could not have died on a cross. He had to exist as God or he would have just died on a cross as a martyr and would not have paid for the sin of our life. 
And Luke was a medical doctor. He was a physician. And the reason I say that is because as you're reading the gospel according to Luke, he wrote Acts as well, you realize that he's more methodical in his writing. He's very accurately detailed. Everything he does is in systematic fashion, unlike some of the other writers who might not have been near as educated as this man Luke was. Why do you say that? Because if you, if you begin, you don't have to turn there, Luke chapter 1. I want to read something to you and, and help you to understand what I'm getting at. Verses 1 through 4. He says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that are being fulfilled among us. They used, underscore this, eyewitnesses reports circulating among us from the early disciples. And this is what he says. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write a careful, see how every word is methodical, very well chosen. He says, I've decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, who was probably a Roman ruler of some sort, that he was declaring this truth before. In verse 4, so you can be certain, he said, of the truth of everything that you were taught. So that lays a foundation for everything that comes after that. Some 2,000 years ago, there was a young girl named Mary. And Mary had, I'm quite certain, like any other young girl, had a plan for her life. She wanted to meet the guy of her dreams. And in that culture, Hebrew culture, that would not have been the way that it would have unfolded. The father would have actually chose the, 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 the spouse for her. Understand, names meant everything in the word of God. It meant more than anything when the context of Hebrew culture. So what would have happened is the father would have actually found her a spouse. Oftentimes, the, the husband's the father would have gone out and pursue a girl of good stock, a girl from a good family. Uh, maybe would have considered what the family owned, and, and he would have made an offer not to the girl but to the father of the, of the bride-to-be. And he would have made, if you will, a proposal. And in that proposal, he says, I want my son to marry your daughter. And in that, they would exchange a price called a dowry. There would have been a price that would have been declared for some girls running around. It might have been 300 sheep. And she would have probably walked through the town of Nazareth going, I got 300 sheep for my life. And then the next girl, maybe three hogs. I mean, I don't know how that worked out on Facebook, but that probably would have been a lot worse. She was only worth three hogs, and the next girl's worth 300 head of cattle. But once that was decided upon, then the betrothal would begin. Now, understand again, not like our engagement here on earth. I mean, here in America today, in the context of which we live, it would have been a binding contract, only dismissed by the way of a divorce decree. It was as binding as our marriage is today. And as these things are unfolding, maybe at 12 or 13 years old, maybe 14, but most girls in the Hebrew culture were betrothed at age 12, married one year later at age 13, having children at 14 or 15. And during the time of this, I guess she probably had some plans. And then interrupts God. And that's where we pick the story up. So much so that it must have profoundly profoundly rocked her world. I want to bring a message to you today entitled God's Interruptions, the first crazy Christmas. God's Interruptions, the first crazy Christmas. Let's look, if you will, at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I want to read a few verses to you. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel. Elizabeth, of course, was who? That was Mary's cousin, uh, the, the wife of Zechariah. Remember, she also was going to be, she was barren and she was going to have a child and Zechariah didn't believe it and God made him mute. He couldn't talk for the whole rest of her time. Some of the women in here are going, man, that would have been really cool if that could have happened when I was pregnant. But it, anyway. 
It says, God sent an angel, Gabriel, which was the messenger, one of two uh, angels mentioned, of course, in heaven, Michael and Gabriel. Gabriel was a messenger to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, a very indiscriminate place, a, a place just with, of no report, no, nothing to worry with, just a very small town. In verse 27, to a virgin named Mary, underscore the word virgin, she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. That fulfills, of course, the prophecy that he would come out of the root of David. Verse 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. He said, Don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, For you have found favor with God. And listen to verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The God will give him a throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. In verse 34, she did exactly what you and I did would do if we were interrupted by God in our simple plan. She said, but how can this happen? I am but a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born in your womb will be holy, and it will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth, your cousin, you know, the one who's barren, who can't have children. Check this out. She also has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say when she was barren, but she has conceived a son, and now in her sixth month, why? For verse 37, for the word of God will never fail. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before your throne today. Help us to rightly divide your word of truth, that it would shake our life. Interrupt us today. Disrupt our plans and bring us to a place of fulfillment for your perfect will for our life. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said out loud, amen and amen. Number one, I want to give you three things real quickly that will happen when God interrupts your plans. Number one, I think you'll feel afraid. I think you'll be terrified. I think you will be so overwhelmed with fear at the concept of God stepping into your perfect little plan and bringing you to a place of this outlandish, unreachable, unfathomable plan. But the Bible says you and I have not been given the spirit of fear. But listen what he has given us. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. Concentrate on that for a moment. Power, dudamos, dynamite, explosive uh, power inside of you. And love, that agape love, the love that has no bounds the love that has no ends. And check this out. And you've been given a sound mind. If you survey the culture in which we live today, people are anything but living in a place of sound mind. People are anxious about tomorrow when Jesus says, hey, take no thought for tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Girls, listen, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep, or even take thought for your own life. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And all these other things that you're worried about, they will handle themselves. Can we do that as a church today to realize that all of these things that we're worrying about may never come to fruition? We're worried about rush weekend on May the 9th. It may never come. We're worried about on the building getting finished. It may never come. We're worried about our child graduating and us having enough money. I think you need to plan for those things. But what if it never comes? You're going to live a life in the future and forget to live today. For the glory of God. See, that's subtleties of Satan. That's his biggest uh, arsenal of weaponry he uses against us. Is he has us so fixated on the worry of tomorrow when tomorrow may never come. And we forget to live. I can prove that to you. How many of you have ever been by the bedside of one that was dying? A loved one, perhaps. I have. Can I tell you what never comes up? 
They're not worried about their bank account. They're not worried about the future. They're not worried. They wanted to redeem the very moment of time because they realized at any moment in time they could breathe their last. Can I tell you something? You and I are in the same place. Every moment is dictated by a sovereign God who's breathing air into your lungs and, and circulating it through your, through your body, oxygenating your blood. Everything that you're doing, he's the giver and he's the sustainer of life. If you're afraid of anything, the Bible says, let the fear of God rest in your heart. Speaking of a reverential awe to look at God and say, you are amazing. That's the fear we need to have. Don't be afraid. Why? Because God is calling you to do something profound. Because he sees something great in your life. Look at verse 30. He told Mary, he said, The reason I'm calling you to this great place is because you have found favor with God. Your menial, simple, safe plan is not near as safe as what God is planning to do in your life. You found favor with God. Hey, if you ever feel like Satan's just riding your back and, and all these things that you've planned are just falling left and right, it may not be the enemy. Quit giving the enemy so much stinking credit for everything that happens in your life that doesn't line up with your plan. It may be that God is intervening and showing you that he's got something far greater for you. And he's, listen, he's challenging you to walk in faith, to walk by faith. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. The just shall be saved by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. He wants you to depend completely and utterly on him. Don't be afraid. Secondly, why should I not fear? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 25 says, He is faithful who calls you who also will do it. Quit worrying about completion of the mission and just walk in the promises of God today that are yes and amen in him. Look at verse uh, 31 with me. I want to show you something. This just blew me away. In our fear, in Mary's fear, the fear of God's interruption of her life, that you are about to bring forth the God child, and you've not known a man. All these things running through her head, all these fears running through her mind of, what are the people going to say? What's my reputation? Hey, by law, she could have been stoned to death. And in verse 31, he says, you will, underline that, will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. Verse 32, he will be very great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him a throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. The seven wheels, a picture of perfection and completion in God. Why? Because God is calling you to do something you cannot do. It's impossible for you to do it. But he will. Faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. Seven times he told her that. Seven times maybe he's told you the same thing. That he has a plan for your life. But Mark, I'm terrified. I'm afraid. Let's look at our second point. Not only are you going to be afraid... But you're going to feel unworthy. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in my ministry. Of people say, I'm not worthy to do what God is calling me to do. Can I say something to you? You're right. You're not. It's not about you. It's about him working in and through your life. And the reality is, is he doesn't need, watch this, he doesn't need your ability. He merely wants your availability. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He's, listen, if he's put something in your life, don't turn around in his face and say, I'm not worthy. 
Moses did that dialogue with God when he said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. He said, I can't do what you're calling me to do. I can't even speak. I'm a man who stutters. I'll be the laughing stock of all of Egypt. That Pharaoh will laugh me right out of there if he doesn't kill me first. And God said, okay, fine. I'll let you take Aaron with you. He'll be your mouthpiece. He'll speak for you. As you survey scripture and all the dialogues that went on between Pharaoh and Moses and Moses in the encampment, Aaron never spoke for him. Do you know why? Because God didn't need Moses to be eloquent in speech. He was speaking through him. You see, you're not worthy, but you feel unworthy. Women in that culture were marginalized at best. But you factor in the poor town of Nazareth, a father who had no name for himself, no great wealth, and we see that in some of the unfoldings in, in Matthew's gospel, where they didn't exchange huge prizes of, of wealth. It was more from pigeons and turtle doves. How do you think Mary must have felt? I think she probably said, God... Gabriel, let me school you on who I am. You're calling me to carry the Christ child, the one that's been spoken about for 1,500 years? You're calling me? I'm nobody. I'm 12, 13 years old. I mean, let's not forget that as we look at and survey this story, that this was not the woman that you see in the Roman Catholic uh, art that's hanging on all the, the big chapels and all this. Listen, she was a young pauper girl who was terrified and no doubt didn't feel worthy, pull your car up to, to, to her and say, hey, how about the way she must have felt? She probably said, have a seat, Gabriel. Let me tell you who I am. You, you, have, you must be looking for the girl next door. The one that's, you know, 15. Her, her dad's got a bunch of wealth. Have you ever done that? Has God ever spoken to you? In, in a service like this, and, and you felt like something, he said something to you, and you look over your neighbor and say, did you hear God? He was talking to you. Because you didn't want to own it. There's times where I have been waking up from a deep sleep, and, and, and I wake up, and it's like my heart's just beating out of my chest. And we call it nervousness and fear. And it may just be that God is speaking something into our life that shatters our one, three, five-year plan, completely interrupting us. And we, the first thing we do is, God, I can't do that. God, I'm not worthy. Verse 34. If it weren't enough that she didn't feel worthy, then she gives him the real, tangible, concrete evidence to simply say, this cannot be. Here's what she says. How can this happen? How in the world, Gabriel, are you calling me to do something that you say is coming from the Most High God? Doesn't he know that I'm a virgin? Do you get that story? That that is an impossibility. You can't have a child. Let's put it today in our modern world. If a girl comes to school and she starts to show and she's 13 years old, the first thing we're going to do is ostracize her from the general public. We're going to put it on Facebook. We're going to mash her in the ground. All these things will be said. And what if she says, oh, but you don't understand. God came to me last night. And I told him that I was a virgin, but... He put the baby of God inside my womb. The boyfriend, Joseph, is probably going, girl, you got to do better than that. I mean, seriously. I saw you over there walking with Abishua, you know, the other day across the back of the, you know, whatever. I mean, what, what would that have looked like? We can't move past that. The, the, the reality is, is this poor, little innocent, terrified girl who had maybe a plan and God interrupted. She was terrified, and I submit to you, she didn't feel worthy. But even beyond the scope of that, listen, hello, I'm a virgin. Are you kidding me? And the parallel to that for you and I is, 
God, I can't do what you're calling me to do. But as I look through this book over and over and over and over again, He's calling common, everyday people. For goodness sakes, guys, he went right past the synagogue to the Sea of Galilee to call men to proclaim the message of hope. He didn't go to the ones that were equipped. He went to the ones that he had called to a purpose. And he's still doing that today. I'm evidence of that. Let's just be safe. Because we feel unworthy... Let's just be safe. What are you believing God for in your own life? God wants to exceedingly, abundantly above that which you can ask, think, or fathom to bless you. And here's what I said to the group on Wednesday night. We had a great Bible study on Wednesday night. I want you to hear this, and then I'm going to qualify it very quickly. We're living in a tomorrow faith. We do it. We're living in a faith based on somewhere down the road. Everything you're believing God for is based on tomorrow or the next day or the next day or a moment that hasn't happened yet. It could be at lunchtime. It could be tonight. You are believing God in faith for something that is yet to happen. When in fact, watch this, as we're calling Jesus to come into our life, God, move over this situation. God, intervene over this. He's saying, I've already come. Why don't you go back 2,000 years ago where I hung on the cross and I said, it is finished and it was settled on the cross. You're not living in a faith of what may happen tomorrow. You're living in a finished work faith that happened back there and all you got to do is start walking in that. You see, the reality is, is we walk through life hoping for all these things, as I said a moment ago, that may never come to fruition. When in fact, as we look back to the cross, as we look back to the moment in time, what we call Easter, the crucifixion, and we realize that on that moment, he said seven things from the cross, one of which is, it is finished. It was settled in heaven forever. Now we live based on the faith of what happened back there, not of what may happen. If I died today, if you died today, is it settled in your heart or are you looking for a future occurrence down the road see I believe for God in 1999 for a restored marriage and he gave me a brand new one several weeks ago I had Tyler call the production company and I said Tyler ask him uh, if we can rent free I guess that's rent I think it's called free if we can borrow this $10,000 40-foot inflatable screen, Tyler, call him. Because I didn't want to call him. I'd rather Tyler do that kind of thing. And I said, call him and ask him if we can use it. I mean, we spent a lot of money with these guys over the years with Rush. Hey, just ask him, can we use it for free? Because we're really tight on our budget right now, and we really don't need to spend three, four, five hundred $500 on a screen to rent for one night. So Tyler calls him, and a few minutes went by, and Tyler comes back in there. He said, the guy talked to Winfrey, which is the owner, and Winfrey said he wanted to call back and made a counteroffer. I went, oh, God, I hate counteroffers. He said he wants to give it to you, church. I know, that's what I said. Ten, ten grand. Just, do you know why? Not because Winfrey's a great guy, though he is, but check it out. I was believing God for some menial safe plan of a free rental, and God already wanted to give it to me. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. I mean, it, this is cool too. So we're calling a pastor across town. Hey, we're kind of burdened, guys. We need to borrow your popcorn machine. Not a big deal. And I understand sometimes we under-spiritualize some of the simplest yet profound things in our life. Hey, we just want to borrow. We don't want to rent. And maybe throw a little popcorn oil and salt. You know, whatever. You got little bags. We, we kind of needed some help. Help a brother out. We plant in the church. Help a brother out. 
So we're believing. Check it out. Me and David, you know, have you talked to the pastor? Have you talked to the pastor? Everything's cool. And, and then, doggone it, Tommy, Tommy Ford shows up and calls us. He goes, hey, good news, man. I bought, you, I bought us two brand new popcorn machines. We're believing for one for free, and he gives us two brand new ones. Right after rush last year, I got a call about this piece of property up on the mountain. And at the time, it was five acres in a dilapidated building. And I went up there, and I drove up there by myself. No one was with me. And I said, come out on that property. Immediately, God spoke to me. He said, this is it. I wasn't even planting a church. This is it. <laughs> I went, you got the wrong dude. But I'm but a virgin. You know, I mean, I felt the same way that she felt. <laughs> I've never started a church. David and I talked over the years of, of talking about what it would take to play. It's hard, guys. It's hard. Ben said this morning, listen, this ain't a place for you to come to just mosey in and get comfortable. This is a work that you've entered into. Start walking the journey with us, man. Start praying with us. Believe God in faith with us. Why? Because as I went up there, I was looking at five acres and, and, and a building that will hold at best 150 people that needed work. And all of a sudden, as the time goes on, we ended up getting 385 acres, lakes, timber, merchandise, all this stuff going on. Do you know why? Because God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above what you can ask, think, or fathom. And I told the group several weeks ago when we were down at the, uh, getting baptized on the lake there, and it was awesome. It was a little cold, but thank God I didn't have to baptize. Big David took the plunge, but uh, we were baptized, and I told the group, and I want to tell y'all, good news. All the money we need to build the building, to finish everything, to have rush, and to pay everything off that would be debt-free is completely handled. The bad news is it's still in your pocket and your bank account, so you need to start giving. Anyway, what do you do when God promises you the impossibilities? I want you to write this down. You realize that the impossibilities are nothing but possible with God. The rich young ruler in Mark's gospel who had everything, great wealth, when he ran away from God because God told him to give away his wealth and give it to the poor, sell everything, give it to the poor, the disciples looked at him perplexed and said, wait, wait, wait. And Jesus said, it would be easier for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle than it will be for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples said, if this guy who has got everything can't get into heaven, what hope is there for me? I have nothing. He said, oh, what's impossible with God? I mean, what's impossible with man is fully possible with God. See, when you draw the lines in the sand and go, God, that is impossible. He says, oh, but don't forget, I'm the one that can cause a man to go down and lie down and go to sleep in the stench of a den of lions and have the greatest night's sleep that he's ever had and get up the next morning with a big yawn and the lions are still there and he's still there, a pile of bones over there. He's the same one that can send three Hebrew children into the fiery furnace and they come out not even smelling of smoke, yet the only thing burned is the ropes that had them bound, the thing that man put on them. Let me tell you, my God is a God of possibilities. He's not a God of impossibilities, church. As the band comes, listen to me. Listen to me very carefully. As I begin to look at our life, God has a purpose in such a manner that I need to be walking in a living, lively hope 
that if every step that I take, God is not with me, then I am setting myself up for certain failure. Let me say it this way. If the life that you're living and what you're believing God for is so safe that you don't have to get on your face and cry out to a holy God, you're not believing Him for even marginally close to what He has in store for you. Quit being so stinking safe and step out and believe God for something that your mind can't even fathom. Mark, how do you do that? How do you say it? You say that out loud to Him. You get on your face before Him and you say, you know, I just want a good job. You know, I just want to make it from paycheck to paycheck. I don't want to have to borrow money from mom and dad. Mark, is this a prosperity gospel? No, 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 because here's the reality. I'm not praying for money. I'm not praying for stuff. I'm praying for the impact of the kingdom, for the glory of God. But we know, and you know, and I know, Jesus said more about money and wealth and possessions than he did about heaven. Do you know why? Because those are the things that become an obstruction to you and I going to the cross. He said, just believe me in my word. Yeah, but Mark, that was only for Mary. That's not me. Oh, no, no, no. One day I'm going to preach a message on the barrenness. The barrenness of the women in Scripture. Women who were incapable of having a child. Could not have some women in this room. Bless your heart. Some of y'all cannot have a child. Yet you've sought adoption and you've, you've brought in a precious child, a perfect picture of what Jesus did with the church and you and I adopted us. God bless you foster parents, man. God bless you. We're one of them. God bless us. We all bless people who bring in somebody. Let me tell you something. You don't have a clue if you're not doing that. What that means for a person to tuck a child in their bed knowing that they may be gone the next day and they have a heart and a passion for that child. But Jesus knows that well because everything that sometimes I look at Jeremy doing and I go he's not getting it. He's not understanding. He keeps going against the grain of what we're telling him to do and we're trying to make him be better and God goes yeah that's the way I feel about you too man. I got all these plans for you and you keep doing it your way. In which case I go, but I'm a virgin. But anyway, thirdly, real quickly, as the man makes her way out. Not only will you be afraid, not only will you feel unworthy, but God cannot, will not fail. Notice the unorthodox idea presented to Mary. Listen to this. Don't miss this. We don't see this in the Christmas story. Here was his promise. I'm going to bless you with this child, and his kingdom will never end. Oh, my gosh. Seriously, let me, let me talk to you, all give me, give, me, give me five minutes. Don't move. The Babylonians were ruling over the world for 400 years, and people said it out loud that they will never be conquered. And Medo-Persia came on the scene and they destroyed them, releasing all of those Jews that were the remnants of the Jews back into their own land. Medo-Persia came in and became the greatest nation on planet earth. People said it out loud. There will be no one that can defeat the Persians. The wealth, the, the stability, the armament, the military, they far surpassed. And then a guy named Alexander the Great showed up on the scene and he destroyed them. And he became, began to lead the Greeks into a, a life rule. And people said the same thing about them. And, and maybe I got some of that out of order. Some of y'all's teachers are looking at me going, that's not the right order. It doesn't matter. Here's my point. Then Rome came in, and Rome became the superpower. 
at the time when Mary was hearing this story, said, there's a baby going to be in your womb and you have no name, you have no wealth, you're a lowly nobody. Oh, but check this out. If it's not enough that you're a virgin and you're going to have a baby inside your womb, check this one out. Also, his name, his kingdom will have no end. She's probably going, you have lost your mind. How many of y'all have ever heard Jesus and the Son of God mentioned in the same sentence. Anybody in the house ever heard Jesus and the Son of God mentioned in the same sentence? Hold your hand up. Do you know why? Because his kingdom will have no end. It will never end. My God, if the church, if we, just us in this room, would step out into a faith and say, God, destroy, destroy my plan. God, destroy my five-year menial plan that has no impact on the world for your honor and for your glory. It's safe, but can I tell you, it is not near as safe as one that is completely unorthodox, one that is through the roof, one that is life-changing. If you step into the perfect will of God and let him be the light beneath your feet, not the light down there, you and I want to see the unfolding of our life way down there. Get over it. You're not going to see that but if you partner with the kingdom work and you say things like God I believe you it's your word God I trust you in faith God, I believe what I can't see you for. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence is of things not seen. God, I can't hold it. I can't touch it. I can't smell it. I can't breathe it. I can't sense it. I can't tell anyone. I can't even hand it over to anybody. But God, I believe in you. It's your word. And I'm ready to rock and roll. I'm ready to change this city. I'm ready to change my home. I want to be the husband, the father. I want to be the couple. I want to be the pastor. I want to be the ministry. Here's why. Because there are two billion people on planet earth that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's 21,000 people in Upson County. 21,000 people. Hey, Mark, we can't, fit, we can't fill this building up. Well, guess what? Miss Sarah Armstrong, who we all love and adore, filled it up to beyond capacity last night. Do you know why? Because she works hard to do it, and she invests in lives. It's time that you and I step out of these doors, walk out and go, well, I don't really know if I understood that sermon. Here's what you need to do is get in this book and go outside and say, hey, I want to be a propellant. I want to be a catalyst of change. I want to go reach the world with the precious hope of Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, guys. We're walking past people every day, Doug, right here in Walmart. We're walking past them every day, and they're dying, and they're going to hell. Do you know why? Because you won't tell them about Jesus. You won't tell them. I'm going to be gone next week to Jamaica. David's going to be gone. We're going to try to turn some things over to Pastor David to run our missions trips next year. So if I don't tell anybody, is no one going to get told? You need to tell them. You need to pray for the other churches. We need to quit throwing stinking stones at people that are trying to do the same thing we're doing and then go around and pick them up and let's build a bridge and let's get on the same trajectory and say, let's change this city for the honor and for the glory of God. your heads bowed and your eyes closed. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that the story ended there. But that story of the Christ child in her womb, an impossibility for a little no-name little girl, did not end with her saying yes to Jesus. Did not end with Joseph saying yes to Gabriel. Didn't end there. 
She took a journey. And that journey culminated on the cross with her giving up the greatest gift ever given to a woman. She gave it up as a mama, belly aching and crying and weeping over her son as he died on that cross. Hey, Mark, you're throwing some punches now. That's the Easter story. No, no, no. That's the everyday story. If it weren't for the cross, man, we wouldn't be here today. We have no hope. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to just right now invite God into your life. The altar's open to shatter every dream, to shatter every plan, to shatter every intuition, to shatter every little nuance that gets you to a safe, menial, non-impacting plan. And say, God, right now, pour in me a planet-shaking, life-altering, kingdom-building plan today. I don't know if it's impossible, but I know that it will never end with you because your word cannot return void. Do you know Jesus today as your Lord and Savior? If you don't, if you don't, I invite you to know him right now. I'm praying a simple prayer of faith right here, right now from your heart to God. Say, God in heaven, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I admit to you that I failed you. But today, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart, to forgive me of all of my sin, to save me, to wash me clean, to make me new, to put me on a path for your will for my life. Help me. Say this. Say, help me to live for you until the day you call me home. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer today, I just want to be able to pray for you. I want you right now, without hesitation, without debate, I want you to raise your hand and say, yes, Pastor Mark, God bless you. I prayed and asked your hand. Hold your hand up. I asked Jesus Christ into my heart. God bless you. Hold it up high. Hold it up high. Don't be ashamed. He wasn't ashamed of you and I. God bless you and you. Here's what I want you to do. Listen to me. Listen to me. I know this is tough. I know it's hard. But right here, right now, if you ask Jesus Christ in your heart, I got a few people standing out front. All I want you to do is come down here and pray with them. They're not going to ask you to join anything. But if you need something or you need prayer, just take a step of faith, one that scares you to death. Right now, get up from your feet if you ask Jesus in your heart and come to this altar right now. I believe in God right now. Come on, y'all give him a hand clap of encouragement. Come on, you stand up. If you ask him in your heart, get up right now and just walk to this aisle. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. For further information about Northridge Church, visit us online at northridgethompson.com.